If you, are, if you are new here, you're not alone. This is uh, every week we, we have that, but then especially on Easter. And um, I'm, I'm, my name's Jay, and I'm one of the pastors. And it is, it is my joy to be able to be with you on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, as I said, it's, it's not uncommon that people would, would be here for the first time or watching online um, for the first time, but it's even more so on, on Easter Easter is kind of that day in our, in our culture. It's one of the ones along with Christmas where um, if you were ever going to be guilted into coming to church, today's the day. And uh, if, if you're going to be guilted into watching online, which, uh, you know, whatever the case is, um, I totally get that and I understand that. And uh, I just want you to know something. Though. I want to make sure something's really clear um, during this time is that no matter where you are, where you got to where you got, and, and why you're here, why you're listening or watching online, or why you're sitting here in person, um, I just want you to entertain the idea that it's not by accident. That whatever you think is the reason that you were here, that if this God who we proclaim, if this Jesus that we celebrate as risen, if he really is who he says he is, then the fact that you are sitting where you are right now, participating in this, is not, is not the result of, of just bad timing or a request that was finally accepted, but is actually because that God placed you there. And the reason why that's important to understand is that that same God who, who puts you where he puts you this morning is the same God who can awaken hearts and can change minds. And I just want you to, I want to be really clear up front that there is nothing that I have planned to say, and I even preached it already once today, and I can guarantee you that it is the truth. There is nothing I'm going to say this morning that can change your mind about who this God is. There's nothing that I'm going to be able to say that is going to, um, is, is going to kind of awaken your spirit or awaken something in you, that that is actually the work only of God. And the reason why that's so important is if God should happen to do that this morning, if there is something that, that we sing in a song or something that, that I mentioned here this morning that does stir something, you feel something stir in you or come alive in you, it's very important that you understand that that is not because I said something clever. That it is not because I package things in a certain way. That that is evidence that the Spirit of the living God is working in you. And I would encourage you to press into that. Don't make the mistake of thinking like, oh, well, it was this atmosphere or it was this thing that was said or anything like that. But understand that that would all be selling it short because it is nothing less than the creator of the universe bringing you to this moment and saying to your heart, wake up. And all of a sudden things that maybe before today seemed foolish to you sound like life. And if that does happen, I want to just express that, that understand that that is what has happened to all of us. Any of us who claim Christianity or claim Jesus, none of us claim that or follow Jesus because we were smart and we figured it out and we just kind of rationalized everything and just said, okay, well, this, this makes the most sense. 
For every single one of us, Scripture tells us that God takes dead hearts and he makes them alive. He takes clouded minds and vision and he gives us eyes to see. It's an important thing to say kind of at the outset of this. Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we have no hope. We celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, because it is the linchpin to everything that we hold and believe. And if Jesus actually rose from the dead, if that tomb was empty, and if he rose from the dead, then everything I say to you here this morning are the most important things you could possibly hear. But if he didn't, then my words are worthless. Years ago, um, while I was in ministry, early on, pretty early on in my ministry career, I went through a, a crisis of faith where I really wondered and, and thought, like, I don't know if I believe these things that, I, that I'm teaching or that I'm talking about. And it really started um, to mess with me and mess with my heart and my mind. And, and I've mentioned this before where it, it felt like um, every time I tried to get my brain around it and tried to really wrestle into it and dig into it, that, that it was a lot like playing in a swimming pool where there's like an inflatable ball and, and you try to reach out for it. But even by touching it, you just can't quite grab it. It slips out of your hands and then the waves of the effort end up sending it further away. And that's what it was like for me. It was, a, it was a terrifying time in my life where here I am, all these things expected of me. I was, I, I was going through seminary. I was in ministry. People were expecting these things about me. This, is, this was my identity, was a, a Christ follower. Everybody from my hometown knew me as that. Like that was what I was supposed to be and do. And now here I was experiencing this crisis of faith. And the harder I studied the more I tried to dig in and think about it and wrestle with it, it was like pushing that ball further and further away. I felt as though my soul was just drifting out to sea and the harder I swam to get back, the worse it got. And in that experience, a couple of things happened. God rescued me, but how he did it was incredibly important, and I wonder if it would be an encouragement to you this morning. The first thing that happened was that all of a sudden, all these different things that I was questioning, all these, all these questions that I had about um, what was going on in the Old Testament and what was happening in people's lives around me and what, what was the purpose of any of this stuff, like why, why was I struggling with these different things and why didn't people's lives look like what it looked like in the book of Acts and all this stuff that I was wrestling with, God clarified things in my mind around the tomb. All of a sudden, everything came zeroing in on the linchpin of all of history. And the question came into my mind, did Jesus walk out of that tomb? Because all of a sudden, what I realized was all these things, all these side issues that I was dealing with, it all came to this. Because the reality is that the claim of Scripture is that Jesus lived this life. He died this specific death. And he was buried in the tomb. And the claim is that on the third day, he walked out of the tomb. And all of a sudden, it was so clear in my mind 
that everything hinged on that. That all of a sudden the thought was, okay, if Jesus, if that actually happened, if Jesus actually was, was killed and then on the third day walked out of the tomb, then he can say whatever he wants about dinosaurs and I believe him. He can say whatever he wants about why suffering exists in the world and why are these things happening over here and why does he seem to intervene here but not here? And why is this happening in my life? And, and what does it matter even about, like, why, why are we not seeing everybody come to faith? And why is any more clear about it? And why are there so many hard things in Scripture? All of a sudden, all of those things faded, faded away, and it became very obvious that if he walked out of that tomb, then nothing else mattered. And equally, if he didn't walk out of that tomb, then nothing else mattered. Because what also collided in my brain at the same time was this over, just, just overbearing thought that, yeah, then if, if he walked out of that tomb, all of a sudden that clarifies all these things. But if he didn't, then it's all worthless. It came colliding because they had to go together. This idea that like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many good things Jesus said about loving your enemy or about being kind or compassionate. It didn't matter what things were said about valuing people. It didn't matter what was said about um, philosophies of, of living or a worldview or anything to see. Like none of that mattered if he didn't actually walk out of the tomb. And when it became that clear to me, I just focused in on that. And I asked, or that question was asked in my heart, did Jesus walk out of that tomb? And I remember, as if it was yesterday, my heart declaring a resounding Yes. And that's the second part of what was so important about that. Was that answer didn't come from me. That cry in my heart when that question came into my mind, did Jesus walk out of that tomb? The answer that came out that had the resounding yes was not from me. And at that moment, I realized that not only did everything hinge on the resurrection, but that my faith in it was held by something outside of myself. That it was the Spirit of God who held on to me. That it was the Spirit of God who was testifying in a place where my mind and my heart was struggling to be, it was the Spirit of God that was testifying on my behalf. I say this to you and I share this with you because if you are in a place where you have felt like you have struggled and doubted and wondered, and you've wondered, what, what does Christianity have to offer? I, I was just reading an article um, this past week that talked about how our society has become so cultured and we've advanced so much as a society that we're realizing we really don't need religion. 
And so we've developed and, and evolved to such a place that we now are, are much more moral beings and much more ethical beings. And so we don't need that kind of fairy tale religion to, to make sense of things. We're, we're now smarter than, than we used to be. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of examples that we're not smarter than we used to be. But that's a side note and side issues. But if that's true, then what we are doing here this morning is foolishness. But the claim of Scripture is that this Jesus actually lived and died and rose from the dead. And because he did, that changes everything about who you are and who I am and why we exist and why we are here and what this whole thing is, is here for and what the future holds. Because in that empty tomb, we find the claim that every doubt, every question, every struggle, everything you have ever wrestled with, the answer to it is found in that empty tomb, in the power of the resurrection. The power to overcome anything that is going on in your life for all eternity is found in the resurrection. And whether you see that or not is a work of the Spirit. And my prayer and my hope is that what you will find this morning when you ask this question, is that there will be a voice inside of you that will be a resounding yes and that you would understand that is the voice of the Spirit of God. There's so many things that are called into question in our world right now and things that people feel like, well, the, the gospel just is outdated. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't answer those questions. But I would assure you that anything that you are asking today has been asked before and the gospel does give an account for it. You know, the two, the two big questions that I hear over and over again, no matter what, and the ones that I was asking in my crisis of faith were like, who am I and why am I here? And the world has answers for it. That, that idea that we are just evolved as people and we are now better, more intellectual and more, uh, more rational beings and so we are able to figure that out on our own, we have those answers. The world has answers to those huge questions. When asked, who am I? The world says you are whoever you say you are. You are whoever you want to be. You can define your own identity. And as to, to why I'm here, the world offers that as well, saying you are, you're here for whatever purpose you determine for yourself. We talked a couple weeks ago about how the American dream has shifted over the years, but it's still this dream. It's still this idea where it used to be um, the, the dream was to find a good job and have a, a save for retirement and build a nice house and all these different things and accumulate these things and to live this, this best life that you could possibly live. That that used to be defined by that, but that's been traded by the next generation for experiences. And so there's not as much concern about like having the house and the white picket fence and all that. But now it's like, no, I want to accumulate all the experiences I possibly can have. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here. 
And the world tells you that whatever your pursuit is, that's fine. It's your pursuit. It's your truth. Whether it's comfort or freedom or stuff or experiences, live your life because you only have one of them. And those things sound good on the surface, right? Like it sounds, like it it makes sense. It's why it's so tempting and appealing. I mean, what, what could be more freeing than being able to identify and define who I am myself? Like, what could be more freeing than to just be able to say, I I am whoever I want to be? And what could be more fulfilling than saying, my purpose here on earth is whatever I want it to be. To pursue whatever I want with my life. In fact, in so many ways, that's how we define freedom. You can be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. And it sounds so good on the surface. Except that if you've lived any amount of life at all, you know that it's empty. You know that the freedom to define who you are ends up in being completely lost. It turns quickly into second-guessing and doubt and depression and failure. And the reason why is simply because you and I weren't designed to come up with that kind of meaning on our own. Because when you can be whoever you want to be, and whoever you decide you want to be, you never actually know who you really are. And when you can define your own pursuits and your own purposes, and when you can, it can be just about whatever you feel like making it about on that given day, then you never actually find any of those purposes. Because for all its talk, the, the world, at the end of the day, says to find those things, you have to look inward. To find your identity, you have to look deeper within And really think about who you are. And then whatever makes sense to you, that's who you are. Or to find your purpose is to look inward and figure out what you really want. But it would not take us long to go back in our own lives and to think about all the things that we have wanted in the past that have left us empty. I mean, just think for 10 seconds. If you are over the age of five, my guess is you can think of things that you thought, this is it. This will fulfill me. This will make me happy. This will give me meaning. This will give me purpose. And you'll see how it has failed. And... It's because you and I weren't designed to come up with that. We all know that if you want to know why a a tree is planted in a particular spot, you don't ask the tree. You ask the one who planted it. And the claim of Scripture is that your identity isn't found deeper in yourself. It's found in the one who created you. That your purpose is not found in just following your own desires that seem right to you but in following the design of the one who created you. 
And the call of Scripture to, to have that, it, that's the promise that's there. That's the promise that's secured in the empty tomb, that Jesus came and lived the life that we were supposed to live and died the death that we deserved and then um, came forth from the tomb with victory over sin and death. All the things that hold us back, all the things that cloud us, all the things that, that infect us and break the things around us. The answer is in the resurrection. But to find that in the resurrection, we have to participate with Jesus in his death. So if you ask, like, okay, great, well then what is it? How do I, how do I find that? How do I find that identity of, like, who I'm actually supposed to be? Like, I'm humoring you, I'm here anyway, I might as well just listen to what you have to say. Like, how do I find that identity that you're talking about? How do I find that purpose that you're saying is there in the tomb? Well, you find it by losing it. It's actually theme all throughout Scripture. Jesus is often flipping those things upside down. You want to be first, then you must be last. You want to be exalted, then humble yourself. You want to gain eternal treasure, give up temporary riches. You want to be influential, be a servant. You want to find your life, lose it. The answer to how we find our identity in the one who created us is to give up our identity and to die to the one that we gave ourselves. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's that testifying, that it's the work of the Spirit, that the Spirit is the one that testifies on our behalf, that bears witness that we belong to God, that we are adopted children of God. And here is this identity. Paul says, this is what the Spirit says about you. That he gives us a spirit of adoption as sons. And yes, that means everybody, whether you're male or female, if you're a grandmother, if you're four or five, whatever, whatever you are, the reason he says adoption as sons is he's talking about firstborn sons, which means that you are heir to everything, regardless of your status, that in Christ you are the heir to all that God has. And then he says this very strange thing at the end of it, that we often skip over, where he says, you are heirs, like the, the Spirit testifies on your behalf, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And you could dismiss that as kind of a one-off deal, but this is actually, you start to connect these dots and realize, okay, this is what Jesus said over and over again, that if you want to participate in the abundant life that is found in Christ, in this resurrection, this resurrected Lord, if you want to participate in all the glory of that resurrection, then you must participate in his death. And this doesn't always preach well in this country because we live in a country where we believe that we can have our cake and eat it too. Like we don't give up things to receive things. Like we can have whatever we want. 
And so what we do in this culture is we try to have all these things, these pursuits, these identities, these purposes, these things that we want, that we've created for ourselves. And then we look at Christianity and we say, oh, some of that would be good too. And we just take Jesus and we fit him into the world that we have created for ourselves. And so we just try to make a Christian version about this. So our life is really about political victory and power, but we just kind of turn a little Christian flavor onto it. Or our, my, our, our meaning, our, our value, in, and our pursuit is really about experiences, but I'm just going to kind of make those experiences a little more Christian. Or my pursuit is really about, uh, about my family and the success of my children, but I'm going I'm to make that a little more Christian. But the problem with that is that Jesus says, if you try to do that, you end up with nothing. We want to believe that we can have the abundant life that the world offers us and what the kingdom offers us. But the Bible is very clear. Jesus was talking to some of the crowds. People were following along. They thought he was awesome. They thought he was teaching these incredible things, healing people. They were drawn to him. And as they were following along, someone said to him, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Whatever you do, wherever you go, I am with you. And Jesus turns to him and says, foxes have holes and and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And there are other people standing there. And, and you can imagine that people are following along and they hear that and they're like, ah, sucker, you walked right into that one. And then Jesus turns to another one in the crowd and says, follow me. And all of a sudden that guy's on the spot and he says, well, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And later on, the Gospel of Luke, he says, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These weren't unrealistic questions to ask. These weren't like crazy things that they were asking. They're saying like, Jesus, we love everything that you're about. Love that you're healing people. Love this message that you're preaching. Like we want to participate in that with you. Just one thing. Let me go bury my father first. Which was another way of saying, let me go secure my inheritance first. Let me go make sure that my father dies, then I can receive my inheritance from him, and then I will go with you wherever you want. It just makes so much sense. Like you can almost see him thinking like, okay, God, Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you, but I just I want to secure these things first. After all, that makes sense. Like, Jesus, won't I be more effective for the kingdom if I have my inheritance? Like that's just rational and logical. Like we're going to have to eat. Think of all the good things that we could do with this money, with this inheritance. So first, let me secure that, and then I will follow you. And Jesus says it doesn't work that way. You know, another one said, let me go and say goodbye. Like, let me at least, okay, I get it that I can't wait for my father to die, but at least let me go and solidify those relationships. 
at least let me make sure that if this whole thing doesn't work out, I've got another place to go back to. And Jesus said, it doesn't work that way. If you want the power of the resurrection, if you want the meaning and the identity of being adopted as a son, as a child of God and an heir to all things, then it means suffering the loss of all things. When Paul says this, he says this to, in the book of Philippians. He says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, listen, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you see this connection? Paul's saying this, everything that that we've declared in the resurrection, that Jesus actually rose from the dead, which he told the the church in Corinth that if that didn't happen, we're above all men to be most pitied. This is all worthless. He's saying, but everything that is held in that empty tomb, everything that that says about who God is and what he has done and who you and I are and who we are called to be and what our future holds, Everything that is held in that is only found for those who suffer the loss of all things. And Paul's saying that what that is is so worth it that by any means possible, I want to attain it. And so he says, I've suffered the loss of all things. He's saying, I counted all garbage. What does he mean? Does he mean he like just gave away all his money and just like told everybody to leave him alone? And no. He's saying those things are no longer my pursuit. Those things are no longer my identity. I've given them all up. I've lost them all. I've suffered the loss of all of those things. All the hope I had in my works. All the hope I had in my finances. All the hope I had in my relationships. All the hope I found in my status and my power. He said, it's gone. I've lost it all. That by any means I might attain the power of the resurrection. See, abiding in Christ is not just practicing his way. It's not just walking with him. It's not just believing the things that he says to believe in. It is identifying with him in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. So if you would find your identity, you would lose it. If you would find your purpose, you would give it up to suffer the loss of all things. And that's scary. And the question is simply, is it worth it? If Jesus is who he says he is and rose and came out of that tomb, then the answer in your heart would be a cry, a resounding yes. 
It is what Paul means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you want this identity, then you must die to the identities you've created for yourself. The world will tell you that you, whatever you define yourself as, that's the most important thing. So maybe it is your place as a parent, as a mother or father, or it's a place, a status in your community, or in the things that you acquire, or in your sexual identity. Whatever it is, the world says that identity that you have created for yourself is the truest identity that you have, and you must fight and protect it at all costs. But the gospel says, no, you have a bigger identity. You have a greater one. It is that you were created by the creator of the universe, that you were formed in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not an accident. And you were created for a purpose. You are not who the world says you are or who you have declared yourself to be. You are who your creator says you are. I mean, think of those identities that you have in your life. Who, what would you say that you, if you lost it, you don't know who you are? Like, if I'm not this, then I don't know who I am. If I'm not a parent, I don't know who I am. If I don't work this job, I don't know who I am. If I'm not seen this way by this group of people, I don't know who I am. If I'm not the proponent of this political ideology, I don't know who I am. Jesus looks at you and says, I know who you are. You're the image of the creator God. And he says, I came for you to reconcile you back to your father because though you were created in his image, you are broken by sin and I have come to rescue you. To experience that is to experience the loss of all of the things. And it doesn't mean those other identities go away. Like if you find your identity in being a mom, say, and that's been like, I don't know who I am. If I'm not a mom, I don't know who I am. It's not that when you come to Christ and you say, okay, I experienced the loss of all things. And so my identity now is in Christ. And so then you just stop being a mom. That's disappointing to some of you. But... For the good moms out there, it's, that would be very sad. But when you experience the loss of all those things, you still may be those things, but those things are now secondary and subservient to your identity in Christ. And so now it's no longer that I'm, my pursuit is as a parent, and so therefore my success is wrapped in the successes and failures in my children. And so when they do well, then I feel great about who I am. And when they struggle, then I struggle. And I I don't even know who I am. And I failed as a parent. But when you find your identity in Christ, you lose that. Your your identity is no longer wrapped in the, the successes and failures of your children. Your identity is firmly rooted in Christ. And what that does is it frees you to love your children regardless of where they've been or what they struggle with. It frees you to just say, my identity is in Christ. 
My identity isn't in being a perfect parent. Or it means that when you have these identities wrapped up in what other people like as a friend or as a family member, that you still pursue, like you still are those things, but you are those things in the shadow and who Christ determines those things to be. And you go about them in the way that Christ determines that you go about them. As a spouse, as someone who, who works a job and tries to do it the best that they possibly can, your identity is no longer in if people see you as the best at your job. Or if you're recognized and given the amount of raises that you feel you deserve or you make the money that you feel like you should be making. It's no longer in that. It's in Christ. And all of a sudden, what matters, you're free to live in all those different spheres because your identity is in Christ. And what he asks of you is to be faithful. He asks you to be faithful. Because when who you are comes into focus, then your purpose comes into focus. The life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. My whole reason for living is to live the life of Christ, to glorify God by being faithful. And so it means that I not only give up my identity, but I give up my purposes and all the things that I'm chasing. And now I chase Christ. And as I'm pursuing him, he will place me in places where I work a job and do the best that I can, where I raise my children and try to glorify God in raising my children, where I try to be a spouse, where I'm pursuing Christ as I love my wife. In every moment, is an act of faith of saying have I created my own purpose and my own identity or do I exist for God for the one who loved me and gave himself up for me am I investing and making deposits in eternity or am I making them in temporary storehouses every moment is filled with eternal effects And like I said at the beginning of this, that either sounds like foolishness to you or it sounds like hope. It sounds like life. When you find that freedom isn't actually doing whatever you want to do, freedom is being freed from the burden of creating your own purposes and constantly failing in them because you weren't designed to create those for yourself. Freedom in identity isn't being able to choose whoever you are. It's being able to rest in knowing that the one who created you says who you are, and it's glorious. Maybe that's foolishness to you. But that is the claim of the Christ, the risen Christ. The empty tomb promises all of those things. Maybe you're in a place in your life where you still think your path is better. Or maybe you think that your sense of justice is better than God's. Or your love for people is better than God's love for people. Or that the identity that you have created for yourself is more sure and more true than the identity that the one who created you has given you. 
Or maybe you think that the plans that you have for your life are more fulfilling than God's. Or that the desires you have for your life are more lasting and more worthy than the ones that God has for you. If so, like I said, there's nothing that I can say to change that. But if you have come to the end of yourself, if you have found that your desires are not too strong but too weak, if you have grown weary and tired of trying to create your own path and your own purpose and your own meaning, if you have longed for an identity that is outside of yourself and is rock solid, if you have found that the ways that seemed right to you and seemed good have left you empty or damaged, then come to the altar and understand that he meets you with grace. It is his joy to receive you. In the story of the prodigal son, you have this incredible image that the father runs to his son. That the son, when he returns home, does not find shame or guilt or penance. He finds a father who has been waiting for this day. Not because your rebellion is somehow no big deal and that it just gets kind of swept away and it's like, ah, don't worry about it. It's because he loves you that much. And this is why Jesus came. That in this, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And understand that if you were at that point, you didn't get there by yourself. God is opening your eyes. He has initiated it. And that in and of itself is evidence that he is who he says that he is and that he loves you as deeply as he says that he loves you. So come. As, we, as I bring the band up here and we sing these last couple of songs, I want you to consider, you've been with us for this long, Consider these claims. What does it mean if Jesus actually rose from that tomb? What does it mean if your identity that has felt so fleeting and shaky is actually rock solid in the one who created you? What does it mean if the pursuits that you have poured your energy and your heart into, if you suffer the loss of those things, what would it mean to find those in Christ? This is the claim. And my hope and my prayer is that it would be glorious to you. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you to open our eyes. Father, I pray for those in this room and watching online. Those who have been running from you, who have pursued life and meaning and hope and purpose in all the things that the world has to offer, but they have come to the end of themselves. God, I pray that they would know they are not alone, that we are all in that same boat. 
And God, just as surely as you rescued me, you have come to rescue those who are sitting here. I pray, God, that you would awaken hearts that are asleep, that you would bring dead hearts alive, that you would have us suffer the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing you, Lord Jesus, and the power of your resurrection. God, I pray that we would find it to be glorious. We pray this in the only name that is worthy, the only name under which we can be saved, the only name under which there is power to have victory over sin and death and the power to live an abundant life full of ever-increasing, unsurpassed joy. In the name of Jesus, amen.